Well, good morning and a very warm welcome to New Community this morning on this very special Easter Sunday morning. Thanks for being with us. It's been wonderful to hear this morning from four people who have experienced the life-changing presence of Jesus in their lives. So thank you guys. Much appreciated. I could resonate with a lot of the things you said and I noted that um, one of you had been at a camp at Adenac and you know for me that was the same experience as a as an 11 year old child from a, a home like um, Laura's where my parents were, were wonderful godly people who loved Jesus. There was a time in my life when I was 11 where it just started to click for me and I realised that this Jesus loved me intensely and uh, I remember being in a group of boys and three of us, and I still know these guys, three of us on that same night uh, gave our lives over to Jesus. We said, we want you to take control of our lives. So Easter Sunday is a very, very special day to remember. You know, absolutely everything changed for those uh, disciples of Jesus who'd been discouraged and dejected when their master and their friend, who they'd walked with for those years, had hung on a cross He'd died a criminal's death. He'd been placed in a a borrowed and sealed tomb and then he appears to them alive. I don't think we can really put ourselves in that picture. We were talking to Troy this week and we said, wouldn't it have been great to have just camped out in a tent near the tomb and just seen all that went on in that uh, week? Let's pick up the story where the reading this morning left off. We're talking about Jesus, the game changer, because the resurrection of Jesus is that one event in the history of the world that totally changed the game. You get something of the emotion uh, of the story as you listen to Troy and uh, Ali this morning. We're going to look at the rest of the chapter and let's pick up where they left off. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Jesus, the game changer. The grave is empty and Jesus is risen. And the whole story that John tells in his gospel, his account of the life of Jesus, has been building up to this point. John actually writes his his account of the life of Jesus and he centres it around seven signs, seven miraculous things that Jesus did. And each one of these things pointed really powerfully to who Jesus was. And they brought glory to his name, but they also caused people to believe. They elicited belief from people. And some of you might know some of these things because they're, they're the sort of stories that we're told in Sunday school about Jesus. He turned water into wine at a wedding. And they said that the, the wine was the best wine. He kept it till last. The water he turned into wine. He healed an official son and he did it almost remotely. The guy comes and says, my son's ill. And Jesus says, okay, go home. He'll be right. And when he gets home, he realizes that the time Jesus said, go home, he's going to be okay. was the very time when his son started to feel better. He healed a man at the pool of Bethesda. The guy had been there for 38 years. And he'd been wanting to get into the pool. And, and when the water bubbled up, it had some healing power. And he couldn't get there. And Jesus comes to him and he says, get, get up, get, pick up your mat and walk. And he walks and he praises God and he believes. And there was 5,000 people fed with five loaves and two little fish. Who could do that? And then there's another man. He was born blind and he begins to see. 
Jesus heals his eyes. He puts mud in saliva and puts it on him. He says, go and wash. And he washes and he sees. And then the climax of these seven signs is the healing of a man called Lazarus. He was a great friend. And uh, Jesus hears that he's sick, but he waits a couple of days. And uh, eventually he goes with his disciples. He said, let's go and see Lazarus. And by the time he gets there, Lazarus is dead. And Jesus says, that's okay. God's going to be glorified in this. And he actually raises this living man, this dead man, from the, from the grave, and he, he becomes alive. Now, he's just a mortal man. He doesn't live forever. He dies. But it's like this seventh sign is, is, a, is a pointer to a, an even greater miracle. You could say there's seven signs in John, but there's an act, actually an eighth one, the resurrection of Jesus which is the most significant one. You see, Lazarus was raised from the dead, but he died later. And I think John wants his, his readers to realise that these seven signs or miracles just pale into insignificance compared to the eighth miracle, the resurrection of Jesus. These seven were strong enough for people to come and believe that this Jesus was somebody really, really special. But the resurrection of Jesus, it's almost like he's saying, if people believed on the basis of these lesser miracles... How much more should we believe because of the greatest miracle, the resurrection of Jesus? And so it's as Jesus appears in the flesh to his disciples after his resurrection that doubt gives way to faith and fear gives way to courage and the game for them has totally changed. They now believe beyond doubt because they've seen the one who died raised to life and there's now no doubting that the Jesus who they'd loved and followed is truly who he claimed to be. And so the focus of their subsequent preaching becomes really simple. If you look in the book of Acts, it's all about Jesus and the resurrection because they're wanting to proclaim this one who they knew so intimately who died and rose again and proved himself to be the son of God with power. Let's go on. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the holy spirit you know this section just says to me that when jesus rose from the dead it was bringing in actually a whole new creation you notice in 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 the original creation uh it starts off with a creator breathing life into a man's nostrils and he became a living soul and you know john in his gospel starts off and it's it's like an echo of the book of genesis which says in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth you get to john's gospel and john says in the beginning was the word and that is jesus and the word was with god and the word was god and so john's whole um gospel The whole desire on John's part is that people will come to see that this word, this Jesus who became flesh and lived among us is actually the very son of God. He's God in the flesh. And now here is, is Jesus with his disciples after the resurrection. And what does he do? He breathes new life into them. He breathes his spirit over them. It's the start of the new creation. Man originally had life breathed into his nostrils and he walked and talked. Now Jesus brings in a new creation. He breathes his spirit and there's new life. Now Thomas, who's one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Wouldn't you think Thomas was say, wow, great. But no, Thomas says to them, unless I see the nails, the nail marks in his hands, and unless I put my finger 
where the nails were, unless I put my hands into his side, I will not believe. A week later, so Thomas is left to stew for a week. Jesus is in no hurry to get back to Thomas and reassure him that he's alive. I wonder whether Jesus does that intentionally. But a week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them and the doors are still locked. And Jesus came and stood among them and said again, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Four things about Thomas. First, he was absent. Thomas comes across, if you read John's Gospel, as a little bit of a pessimist. Uh, Earlier, when their friend Lazarus had died and Jesus was deliberating about when to go, and then he says, we're going to go, um, and they hear he's dead, Lazarus has suggested that, oh, yeah, we might as well go with Jesus and let's die with him as well. It's almost like he was expecting the cross, um, and the cross has happened now. What he'd expected has actually happened. And so he clearly loved Jesus and he's so brokenhearted that he's dealing with his grief alone. He's not with the other disciples. And whatever the case was, he's not there when Jesus first appeared to them and they say, we've seen the Lord and he doesn't believe. I'd say he's an honest doubter though. Thomas gets a lot of bad press. We've come up with that expression, haven't we? Doubting Thomas. Um, But I think he's an honest doubter. He wouldn't say that he'd understand and believe what he hadn't actually understood. And uh, he really wanted to believe with a a heart that believed. He wasn't going to pretend that his doubts didn't exist. Thomas had to be sure. And I wonder if we talk about this today, maybe that's you. Uh, I know it was me at at a stage in my my teenage life. When it comes to the resurrection of Jesus, we, we need to be absolutely convinced. You know, there's a lot of uh, wonderful things that can help you if you're struggling with scepticism about whether Jesus really rose from the dead. There's some fantastic books out there. But one of the greatest things you can do, I believe, is to read through the four Gospels and get a sense of, of the story, especially the last parts of the Gospels, and understand just what Jesus did for you and for me. One thing that helped me when I was a, a young boy, and this is probably back in the, in the 60s and 70s, there was a guy called J.B. Phillips, and he, he wrote a translation uh, of the New Testament. And after he'd written that, he was so moved by the, the story and the reality of the story, and he felt like he was somebody who understood the original language and could communicate this. He wrote a book called The Ring of Truth. And uh, as I read that, it just helped me to understand that actually these stories they have a ring of truth about them. Uh, if you're trying to write them uh, as, as uh, something to convince people after the event, uh, you would have written them differently to the way they're written. They have this ring of authenticity about them. And uh, that was a book that really helped me. So I would just encourage you, if you're struggling, there's lots of things. Come and talk to us about how you could find something that just really helps you to understand the truth of the resurrection of Jesus. There was a guy by the name of Frank Morrison. He was an investigative journalist about 100 years ago, and uh, he, wrote, he set out to write a book about you know, the, whole, the whole resurrection, what a farce it was, and he wanted to dis, disprove the Christian faith on that basis that the resurrection just didn't happen. And as he delved deeper and deeper, he became absolutely convinced that Jesus actually did rise from the dead. And as a result, he became a follower of Jesus, and he wrote a book which again I read back in that teenage years, a book called Who Moved the Stone? And it's a book people still read today, a helpful book. So Thomas has earned this title of doubting, but maybe that's a bit unfair. 
Because I think in the end in Thomas there's a, a, a settled faith. And maybe that's for you and for me as we delve into these things and as we seek to really make certain our, our understanding of what happened at the resurrection, if we take time to weigh up the evidence and think, think things through, we're going to actually end up with a, a deep and a settled and a firm faith not just go along with the group because it's the right thing to do. So some of us, like me, who grew up in a, in a Christian family, it just seemed the right thing to believe, and I believed it. Uh, but there was a point where I had to make it my own. And uh, maybe that's you, and you need to make it your own today. You see, Thomas, when he did see Jesus, I don't think he had to put his hands into those, those marks on Jesus. His response is, my Lord and my God. John writes from a place where it would have been uh, not unusual to see um, devotees of the emperor in procession through the, tra- tra- the streets chanting, Caesar is Lord, Caesar is God. And in the face of that same sort of uh, pagan worship, the cry from the heart of Thomas is, no, 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 Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. He's, Jesus is God. He's my Lord and he's my God. And he's the one I'm, I'll worship. He's the only one worthy of my worship. And so this is a climax point in the good news account of John. See, John's aim is to show us that this this Jesus is the word, God, become flesh. He is God and Thomas is the first to address him in this way, not just as Lord, but as God. It's like the culmination of what John has been trying to say. Will you recognise Jesus as God in the flesh? Then Jesus comes to Thomas And he says to him, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Seeing and believing. They saw and believed. You know, I don't think Thomas was a lot different to all the other disciples. He just wasn't there the first time. Um, But they saw and believed. And Jesus says to Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas wanted a bit more than just seeing. He wanted touch and feel and all that but I think in the end seeing was enough and you know maybe I think this final promise blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed is a promise for you and for me because we live on the other side of the resurrection we live on the other side of the ascension of Jesus back into the presence of God and so without having seen the risen Jesus for ourselves our challenge is to believe on him based on the witness of those who did see him And so I I, I just challenge you today, um, are you one of those who are blessed? It's almost like another little beatitude, isn't it? Blessed are those who have not seen. We haven't seen the risen Christ, and yet we have people here today who can say that they've experienced him absolutely certainly in their lives. We haven't seen him, and yet we've believed. Maybe Peter was thinking about these words when he said this in his letter. He said, though you've not seen him, you love him And even though you do not see him now, you believe on him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you're receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What a blessing for those like you and me who haven't seen and yet believe. An inexpressible and glorious joy comes to those who know and love Jesus. And so we come uh, to the end. Jesus performed many other signs. So there were seven that are recorded really clearly and then this ultimate sign. Lots and lots of other things that aren't recorded in John's account. But these are written 
that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You know, Troy talked on Friday about how the attitude of many people is that life is just, just the here and now. There's nothing more than the here and now. Philip Yancey in his uh, book, The Jesus I Never Knew, um, suggests that when we begin to understand what happened on Good Friday and Easter Sunday nearly 2,000 years ago, then we come to see how God treats those he loves. And Easter becomes not a fairy tale sort of aberration in the history of the world, um, a world that's actually filled with pain and death and not a lot of comfort. Easter becomes rather a preview of ultimate reality. And then hope flows, and uh, Yancey put it, puts it beautifully. He says, hope then flows like lava beneath the crust of daily life. I like that. And for those who know Jesus, there's this sense that hope rises up because it, he's, he's alive, and he can be alive in you. He can be alive in me. And this, is, I think, this describes the change in the disciples' perspective as they sat in locked rooms discussing the incomprehensible events of Easter Sunday. In one sense, nothing had changed. The, the Roman authorities still occupied Palestine. The religious authorities were still out to get them. There was like a, a bounty on their heads. And death and evil reigned all around them. And yet gradually, I think, the shock of, of recognition gave, gave way to this undertow of joy. The sense that if God could do that... If God could do that, if God could do that. And I wonder, maybe your world has been shaken over these past 12 months, like in that little video. Maybe it's been shaken in ways that you could have never imagined. Maybe you've experienced losses, small ones or great ones. And maybe you need to be reminded today that the grave is still empty and Jesus is still risen. Death has been defeated. Sin can be forgiven. The slate can be wiped clean. There's a way back home to the Father. Despair can give way to hope. We can have life in his name. Maybe you struggle with doubt. Maybe you're a little bit like Thomas. You find it hard to put all the pieces together. You wonder how could the life and death and resurrection of someone 2,000 years ago have implications for you today and for all eternity. You know, John didn't write his gospel to be a biography of Jesus. He wanted to portray him as saviour and master and Lord. He wanted to paint such a picture of Jesus that we couldn't help but see that the person who could speak and teach and act and heal and ultimately die and rise again could be none other than the Son of God. And that is, we believe in him. And in that belief, we might find the secret to life in his name, the good life the life that really counts, as Peter said. Life with Jesus, the eternal life of God's kingdom. Life that begins the moment we bow the knee to Jesus. Maybe today's the day that you might want to take that step of faith. Ask Jesus to reveal himself to you. Recognise him as Lord and God. Believe in the power of the resurrection and the promise of eternity. The guys are going to come and close with a, a beautiful song. It's a song about the beautiful name of Jesus. John writes and he says, you believe that the Son of God, the Messiah, 
is Jesus and by believing have life in his name. And what a beautiful name it is. I wonder if you today would allow God to breathe his new life into you, his very presence, his spirit, and that you might come and experience life to the full and the promise of life with him forever in a new heaven and a new earth for all eternity. That's the hope we can share today because the grave is still empty and Jesus is still risen. Thanks, folks.